0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Blues on Parade podcast. Yes, that's right. I'm hosting today, and by I, I mean Andres, and I am joined by the man with the rant and the sexiest voice in podcast history, Zach Curry.
1: Wow, that was was very nice of you. I wasn't expecting that kind of intro. I thought you were going to mention that I was shirtless, as always, but... What's new? I'm recording a podcast without a shirt on. I'm in the comfort of my own home. Um,
0: sorry, to, sorry that we don't do video, everyone.
1: I mean, if we picked up a win, I'd be with no. I'd also have no pants, but the draw just hey. calls for no shirt. So
0: remind me to tag this podcast as explicit. <laughs> How's your week? Before, how was your week leading up to this game, Zach?
1: Uh, it was all right. Um, Laker season started, so not looking forward to that. I'm sure Psalm's looking forward to the Clipper season, um, but other than that, man, I'm just looking forward to Chelsea and then also LAFC's playoff run starts tomorrow, Thursday. So we kick it off against the Galaxy. So hopefully we could tap that Galaxy ass and uh, you know kick off the weekend on the right note. If we if LAFC could get a win against the Galaxy on Thursday and then Chelsea wins on what is it Saturday, that would that would be be a great weekend.
0: Yeah, luckily for you, you get to support your local in the MLS. Dynamo suck. They're done for the season. So There's give the Rockets, and take. The
1: Dodgers the Dodgers are out of the playoffs. Well, that's and... what
0: I was going to say. You say the, you mentioned the Lakers. Some's got the Clippers. Much more established teams, and I have the Rockets, so I have to just enjoy the rebuild. But my Houston Astros, they're still in there. They're not banging drums anymore, so I don't want to hear it. But they beat the Yankees tonight. So that's one thing that, that kind of made me feel a little bit better. About how, not much about the result from today, but more about how how the game played out for, for Chelsea at, at Brentford. Uh, but before we go into that, we aren't joined by SOM today. Uh, I would joke with the snake joke again, but shit you not, I almost had a snake actually bite me today. <laughs> like, uh-huh. completely not kidding this time. I was walking to one of my accounts that i visit once a week for work and as i was approaching the the office door of this building i'm like shuffling through the paperwork that i'm trying to give to this doctor and i like this this snake was like two and a half feet long it's what they call a buttermilk snake for anyone that's that's listening or care enough to look this up it was like a white gray and black snake and as i approached it it like lifted its head and like looked into my soul i shit you know i like almost crabbed my pants luckily this office is a second door that i was able to go into because this snake was perched right in front of the door that i usually go through so i was able to avoid it so i'm not joking about snakes Som just unfortunately couldn't join us today um but that's enough about these crazy snakes that are taking over the world zach let's talk chelsea brentford uh, we had a lineup. We, d- we actually stuck to the 3-4-3 under Potter. I think this is the first time where we deploy back-to-back same formations. And we had the same same good old face of Kepa in goal. The back three was a little bit rotated with Aspie at right center back. Trevo Chalaba actually in the middle of a back three. And Koulibaly on the left side. And we had RLC being deployed once again as a right wing back. The Raheem Sterling project did not last very long. Uh, it started as a double pivot of Jorginho and Gallagher, and Cucurea was deployed at left wing back, and a front three of Kai, uh, Broja in the middle, and Mason Mount. Uh, fun fact about this lineup, it keeps the trend going that Chelsea has started every match this season with a minimum of two Cobham grads on the pitch, which is a pretty cool thing to say. Um, but yeah, not just... Total. What's that?
1: Five in total.
0: Yeah, and and I think, honestly, putting down two minimum, I think, I want to say the only time that that wasn't higher than two was Potter's first match, because I believe he went with an extremely um, vet lineup, and I think the only two Cobham grads in that match were uh, Mount and Reese starting, but then Chalaba came on because... I believe we had an injury in that match. I can't remember who exactly, but somebody got hurt and Trevor had to come in. Yeah. Um. But anyway, tons of rotation once again from Graham Potter for the midweek matches. um, And the unfortunate injury of Gallagher meant that Kovacic had to come in a little bit earlier than most of us expected. You know, the usual issues, lack of cohesion. And, and you can say that some of that is, is down to our own performance. But I want to also give credit to Brentford. I thought that they were extremely physical and very good about getting back on defense the moment they lost the ball. But another thing one of our listeners mentioned uh, at Radio Kit Wolf, he says, I'm stating the obvious here, but fuck, do we miss those right-handed, right-sided crosses in the outlet from Reese. So, Zach, overall thoughts of the performance more so than than our players. What do you think?
1: I didn't I didn't just miss the crosses from the right side, I missed the crosses from the left side also. <laughs> Let's just put that out there. Between Cucurella, Dave and RLC, the crossing wasn't very efficient today, but you know, on the whole the, the performance left a lot to be desired. I thought that Potter got it wrong in terms of team selection. I think a little bit more rotation would have done the trick. And um, you know, I know the Conor Gallagher thing was a little unfortunate. I Potter said that he felt sick. So it wasn't an injury. He just just suddenly felt ill. And, you know, they gave him 10 minutes and he couldn't continue on. So it actually kind of played into our favor, I think, because for the first 10, 15 minutes or so, when, Gall- when Gallagher was on the pitch, we had no control of the ball. Um, it was very hectic and frantic. And that's exactly what Brentford wants to do. They're the type of team that. When they approach a top-six side, it's very much a smash-and-grab mentality. They're going to press us high the first 10 or 15 minutes to see if they could crack us open, and then they're going to sit deep and try and hit us on the counter for the next hour. So that's exactly what they did. Um, credit to them. To be honest with you, I actually really liked Thomas Frank uh, after that whole interview with Graham Potter, too. So, um, you know, good on them. I, it, it, was a, it was a solid performance from a Brentford side. I think for them it's very much three points. Um, it's one of those draws that feels like three points. And uh, this is one of those draws for us that just feels like two points lost. So, you know, glad we didn't lose. I yeah. guess that's where I'll kind of end my analysis. Hey,
0: we're still undefeated under Graham Potter. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that I've, after this match that I think, I hope we learn from and perhaps either we find a solution on the training ground or we kind of just shell, shelf it, is I don't think I want to see wing backs if Reese isn't playing. I think that it just sort of, you know, the width can't come from those guys if we don't have a player that's comfortable there to the level of Reese James. I'm, I should clarify that. We know that yeah. that Loftus-Cheek can do it, but it's such a specific part of the pitch where, where the wingbacks get super involved and it's mostly in the transition. And I think that deploying more of a four, two, three, one will just play to our team's advantage a little bit more. You know, you get to deploy perhaps a combination of a Sterling and Polisic and and at the same time maybe solidify the defense a little more. We get caught less in the counter. So if we mm-hmm. lose the ball, perhaps we have more bodies around for maybe a little bit of counter pressing like we did against Wolves. Uh, but, but what do you think on that point?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. That's a, that's something I was going to mention, too, is when I saw that RLC was starting, I'm thinking we're playing with a back four. And because RLC has been so good in the midfield, he's going to be playing in some sort of midfield three with Jorginho and Gallagher. And that wasn't the case. He was shoved out to the right-hand side. And look, I know he's put in performances and he's put in shifts on that side. But let's be honest. He's not. He hasn't put a man-of-the-match performance in playing as a right-wing back. That's not his natural position, and like you said, he doesn't feel comfortable out in those areas. Um, So for me, unless you're going to be playing a Reese James, and I want to throw Ben Chilwell's name in there as well, because he just looks like a way more natural fit for a back three than Cucurella does, um, I I do want to see the team sheet tinkered with a little bit more in terms of the creativity of our starting lineups. I thought if we're not going to be playing some variation of a 4-3-3, it should be a 4-2-3-1 or a 4 2 and we just kind of go for it. And that wasn't necessarily the case. So I, I think these are the small tweaks that Potter is going to figure out over time, right? And, you know, it, it's also a learning process for him. That's something that we have to understand as well. Granted, he's not a manager that's a that's a spring chicken. He's been around the game for a long time, but... This is his first top six side that he's managed. And, you know, he came in and the player who was arguably performing the best under him in those first eight or nine games in control gets injured. And now he has to find a solution. So the the Man United test is going to be huge. Let's just put it that way.
0: And yeah, we'll get to Man United here in a second. But, I mean, it feels like our podcasts recently have been sort of a broken record in terms of who we talk about. And it's been Kepa Mount, Kepa Mount, Kepa Mount. And we're talking about Kepa yet again. I mean, this guy is putting out man of the match performances. It feels like this is the third one in a row where I could put his name in the hat. And I think this is the first, maybe the second one in a row where I think for sure he should have been our man of the match. Mm-hmm. Five saves today, four saves from inside the box. One ridiculous save about like 25 minutes into the match where... He played a, a loft lobbed ball, Loftus cheek misheaders it, falls into the path of another Brentford striker who is a foot and a half away from Kepa, headers the ball and Kepa reacts to it and hits it over the over the crossbar. I mean, absolutely nuts. Uh, one of our ultras, actually the the czar of our ultras, Ron, A.K.A. Bone Daddy Deluxe, A.K.A. Bone Daddy Supreme, A.K.A. Bone Daddy Cool says. Five clean sheets in a row for Keppa, basically saved us. Saved the draw for us today. This man's redemption arc is better than most of the last wave of Marvel shows and movies. Respect to him. And Zach, mm-hmm. just to give you an idea of what that means, because I know you don't watch those, is that it, Marvel's uh, quality has gone down a little bit.
1: Oh, you mean like She-Hulk? Yes. Yeah, I yes. F- I figured that that wasn't going to be a hit. For some odd reason.
0: Yeah, just they're trying a little too much, I think. But anyways. Yeah.
1: Um it's Hollywood baby.
0: <laughs> we also had I think this is his second time posting, and it's the second time this pod, Van De Blaze at Radio Kit Wolf. You know, kept us confident when he chest traps the embuemo shot from distance. Hashtag sexy. So Zach, what is their what else is there to say that we haven't said so far about Kepa's redemption arc?
1: Nothing, really. He, he's, every single time we talk about him, I am more and more and more convinced that he's the number one. Um, you know, they asked Graham Potter about it, and he said to, that the football's pretty much doing the talking. There's There's not much else to say about that. The guy hasn't put a foot wrong. And in this game, it's funny because I did feel like he was a little more shaky than normal just because of the just because of how frantic the game was at times he was rushing out to the top of his box a lot more than normal um, luckily we didn't get punished for it but to his credit he also made a couple good saves at the right at the edge of the box for preventing guys like Ivan Tony and even Wissa who got in a couple times from you know dinking it around him and maybe squaring the ball for a tap-in so I love the man I'm com- I've completely changed my tune on him and you know all credit goes to him in that respect, because some of the things that I was saying were pretty damning. <laughs> I was ready for this guy to be gone. And and hind- if we're going to be talking about hindsight, I think arguably the most important transfer or non-transfer of this summer, you could argue is blocking Kepa's move to Lazio and keeping him here at the club. I mean, it's sort of given our defense a boost. It's given us an outlet in possession. And Just an overall sense of uh, comfort in the back. Now, Again, Mendy's a world-class shot-stopper, and it's a great problem to have when you have two goalkeepers who are among the best in the world. But, you know, Kepa is going to be starting every single match from now on. I think that's a foregone conclusion. And uh, I actually listened to his uh, post-match presser, and the guy's mentality is spot-on. You know, we always talk about his ability to lead on the pitch and point things out and, you know, position players on set pieces and whatnot. And he's the first person to bark at defenders if they do something wrong. But he said that they asked him, what's the mood in the dressing room? And he said, the guys are upset. It's two points dropped. I mean, you have a leader going out and saying that in public is, does nothing but create a rally cry, a sense of, you know, let's get around this guy and let's get over this result and hit man, you right in the chin from the get-go. So I feel like he's a—he's one of those players in our dressing room who sort of sets a tone and sets a certain mentality. So I think his importance kind of goes beyond the pitch. And now we're starting to see that a little more and more. So all credit to him, man. And shout out to his fiance yet again. She has the magic touch. I don't know what that woman is feeding him, but keep doing it. I think we could all insinuate what <laughs> she might be feeding him a little bit, but Andres, I'll let you take it away before I get too carried away.
0: Yeah. uh, One one thing that I wanted to point out, you mentioned how frantic it was. And for, you know, I always thought that that was when Kepa kind of lost his head. When the game was not just, oh, a shot is coming straight at me and I just have to react to the ball's path. And for him to just, you know, come out of his line and chase Ivan Toni like way right of his box, then... Not win the ball, but go back into his box, get ready again and and make a save, like things like that just kind of speak volumes as to you know how sure he is of his decisions on the pitch and that's something that I think goes five times harder on a keeper. You have to make decisions on the fly and and you have to live and die by them, and for him to go way out of his box, Brentford to keep possession and and him get back in, and times of him diving and sliding at people outside of the box. Or or there was a, one thing that I noticed in the second half, I believe he was way out left of the box, controlled the ball, kind of kept it in his foot, like a, almost too close for comfort, but it gave him enough time to find the right pass. Mm-hmm. And then uh, our, our listener, Van de Blaise mentioned, you know, the fact that this, this Brentford striker tries to chip him for 40 yards out. And he knows exactly where he is, and he realizes, I don't need to use my hands yet. I'll have that in my back pocket if I do have to pick up the ball afterwards. Chests it down, keeps the game going. So, again, Kepa's on, on fire. We've, we've talked this to the ground, and the man just keeps performing, so props to him. Now, on the completely opposite side of the spectrum, and, and we're talking about Kepa being on droppable as a good thing, but how come Kai Havertz is undroppable? I mean, the man just had another, I wouldn't call it an unforgettable performance because I hope Potter finally sees how bad this man has been. Kai was just simply awful. And I think I test does more than enough, but I'll give you some of his stats anyway. Zero of three successful dribbles. Zero key passes. One shot on target one of four aerials one the man is six foot two two of 11 ground duels one so even on the ground he couldn't do shit and like one of those things that like two of 11 ground duels lost, or only two of 11 won. there was a specific ball that was played in like one of the few times that we were actually doing something offensively where he was doing a, a curling run off the shoulder of the center back and instead of just for once braving the very, very minimal contact, he dives when he would have been absolutely clear because Raya, the keeper for Brentford, was nowhere near that ball. Flops, doesn't get a call, because obviously he flopped. And somehow, somehow with all of this, the man made it to the eighty first minute. I don't I still don't know how. And I'm not alone in this sentiment, Zach. We have Ronnie Ashworth at CFC Ronnie saying, Havertz's performance made my head hurt. And one of our other ultras, Devil's Avocado, a.k.a. Black Emoji, he just wants to ask you, can you just explain what's going on with Kai Havertz?
1: No, I can't. <laughs> I, think, I think his leash is too long. I think his leash is longer than anyone else's. Um, it's, it's getting ridiculous now. It's frustrating because we spent $75 million on a player, and when you spend that kind of money, you would expect that after given chance after chance after chance, they would make the necessary adjustments to their game and their body and their mindset to improve, even if it's minimal. Show us something. And, and we just haven't seen anything from him. And if we're going to compare apples to apples or apples to oranges, depending on how you see this, You look at the opposite end of guys that aren't getting playing time, like Christian Pulisic, who we've mentioned a million times on this podcast, who looked insanely good today. I know we're going to get that later, so I won't jump the gun. But the comparison for him, or or, or the argument for Pulisic not playing was, oh, he's not up to the physicality of the Premier League. He's always on the ground and this and that. Well, what about Kai? (laughs) Can we not make the same argument to him?
0: Well, let's make the comparison even more direct, because when we signed this guy... The conversation was, how are you going to get Kai Havertz and Mason Mount on the pitch at the same time? They they play the same position. And both guys started off the season slow, yet one of them has become our best on-the-pitch player since Reese James got hurt, and the guy that we're going to be relying on while we're talking about a 75 million pound or pound signing that we can't wait to get benched.
1: Yeah, I mean, you said it best. And, and look, I mean, if, if we're going to say that they both play the same position, I take Mount in that position nine, 10 times out of 10. Even if I know Mount's not going to offer me anything going forward, I know he's going to be counter-pressing, and, and positionally he's going to be more... Um, he's going to better position himself to intercept the ball, to press the def- to press the defense, to close down on on the other team when they're in possession. And Kai doesn't even do that. So he my point being...
0: When he can do that. What was that? He just picks and chooses when he does that. Like,
1: yeah, we know it, he has it in him. Like he right. shit house Real Madrid two years ago in the Champions he League. He shit
0: Tottenham week two of this season.
1: Yeah, like, yeah. We so were like coming
0: out of that, thinking, oh, guy, well, if you're not gonna score every game, be a, the most fucking annoying guy on the pitch. Feel like make us feel like we see you. Like we see yeah. what you're trying to do. Because if if like. If the typical thing to say is that somebody was a passenger in the game. I don't think Havertz was even in the car. Like I don't, I can't tell you half the things he was doing. I was begging for him to get pulled at halftime. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. that that
1: that was the most shocking thing, and I think I I, I do want to harp on that because in my opinion, he's the first player that should have gone off. I know you would agree with me. I think everybody <laughs> would agree with me. And and Chelsea Twitter was lighting him up and they were saying i can't believe we took off our best attacker with half with almost a half an hour remaining in the game and first of all we took broja off who was amazing but didn't replace him with another striker right instead we just tried this he bullshit kai shift forward. kai up there and he's not a striker so that it's never going to work in a million years and and not only that my other issue was with the front three that we deployed it doesn't help kai's case if none of the other two guys are willing or i I want to take Broja out of this equation because he he did play well i don't think i don't think his performance warrants any sort of you know criticism but Mason Mount on the other end he's not going to run in behind he's not going to create that little pocket of space that Kai could step into and sort of operate as we all think he or where we all think he can operate in that quote unquote 10 position so if him and Mount are occupying the same spaces Mount is the more dominant player in that situation and takes those spaces before Kai even sees them and then oftentimes Kai either gets forced out way too wide or he gets pushed way too high up the pitch and both are counterproductive because if he's out wide he's not outpacing players he's not taking players 1v1 he's turning straight into defenders if he's playing up the middle or he's getting bullied off the ball so it's like what do you do with this guy at this point sit his ass down let him take a couple games off. I don't care who you have to play ahead of. Ch- Chuck Wameka came on and looked awesome today for a 19-year-old coming into yeah. a match that actually means something. So huge credit to him. That's a guy who could play in that position. And also, here's a thought. That's a guy who's the same size as Kai, who has probably 10 times the amount of physicality than Kai has. You have Broja who has more physicality. You have Aubameyang who's going to be proven to score goals. He scores when he starts, you know. So 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 my thing is, if we're if we don't know what Kai's best position is three and a half or four years into his Chelsea career, when are we just gonna sit down and say, this didn't work? Let's try someone new.
0: Yeah. That's I, my point. Something something's going on because he, here's my thing. I I think it's it's entirely mental. And and it comes down to what you said. His leash has been so long that I don't believe that Kai Havertz goes into these matches putting his life on the line for the team. I don't no. see it. And you can tell me, "Oh no, he's just cool and collected." But no, cuz we we've seen it. We saw it. You mentioned Madrid, you mentioned, we mentioned the City final all the time because that's the only thing that's kind of keeping his career at Chelsea alive. Uh, the the Tottenham match earlier this season. Like Kai can shit house. Kai can be annoying. Kai can earn yellow cards because he defends hard, but he just chooses. He picks the big, the big stage, and that's when he's going to do it. He waits for the derby. He waits for a rivalry match. He waits for perhaps a Champions League game. That's not what makes you a, a, a player that we can rely on. That's not going to be what keeps you here. Those yeah. performances like today is why we're so willing to get in Kunku. Yeah, like
1: who who honestly would probably fill a similar position to Kai, except yeah,
0: no, exactly
1: he's more. I don't even want to say tried and trusted. I just feel like stylistically he just fits better with this team than oh, Kai yeah. ever will.
0: But but you talk about like the difference is like Chukomeka, nineteen years old. Kai is what twenty two, still pushing twenty three. But you have a guy like Chukomeka who's gonna give it give you a. This is my championship, my opportunity, and it's fucking Brentford. Meanwhile, yeah. you've got Kai who's just like, oh, it's just Brentford. I'm not going to get subbed anyway. It's, it's like, almost like
1: he's coasting his way to the World Cup. Yeah. And, then, and then it's almost it, – this, this is my hope, at least, is that this isn't Kai Havertz's career at Chelsea. My hope is that he's just coasting and making sure he's staying healthy going into the World Cup, and then when he comes back, he's going to bang.
0: Uh, that's see, not gonna my, happen. But my concern is that he wins the World Cup and come back and then go back to mediocrity because now his leash got ten times longer.
1: Well, he usually banks for Germany, so yeah. it's probably gonna happen, man. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. If the transfer, if the summer transfer window open tomorrow, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to any offer somebody gives me for Kai Havertz. Yeah. That's upwards of sixty million.
0: If I'm we can, listening. If we can get our money back, you take it. But yeah. you know, we'll we'll go from we'll go from the guy who's got one of the longest leashes at Chelsea to one of the guys that seems to have the shortest leash in his time here that has spanned three managers now. And that's Christian Pulisic. And now you may think I'm being I'm exaggerating, but under Lampard, he proved that he could be the guy, and then the next season starts, he was benched. Under Tuchel, never really got a fair chance. And now under Potter, the guy got an assist, didn't get a start next. The guy scored against Wolf. went three matches unused. Today, he comes off the bench in the 60th minute or 60th-ish minute. And he is absolutely the spark of hope that this team needed offensively. And it felt like if something was going to happen in this match, it was going to come through Pulisic. In those 30 minutes, he had 30 touches. To put into comparison, Kai only had 12 more with 50 more minutes of playtime. Ballistic had three key passes today. Kai had a whopping zero in 81 minutes. 18 out of 23 passes completed, which, again, you're coming in. You're looking for a goal. Those are what? <clears throat> Excuse me. Five Incomplete passes when you're going as risky as you can, that is absolutely great. Everything turn was forward, run. yeah. One completed long pass. Two shots, which were arguably the best chances we had in the second half. And honestly, like, this is now the third time, I think, overall, that he's come into the pitch under Potter. And I don't think he's put a foot wrong. I don't think Pulisic has messed up yet under Potter. And I don't know if you see what I see, but but what do you think is what honestly do you think has changed? Because a week or two before Potter arrived, this guy was going down the tunnel and not waving at, and clapping off the, the away fans. So so what's what's changed? What what sort of thing has gone on that that makes Polisic now, even when he's not getting the minutes, look look like he's at least trying to find form.
1: This is what frustrates me about Kai. It's the fact that a fresh start can do a player so much good, right? Grand Potter came in, and one of the first things he said was, I'm not going to judge the player off their past reputations. I'm going to judge the players based off what they show me when they, get their, when they get their chance. And Pulisic has only shown that he's hungry, and Kai has done the complete opposite. Um, but harping more on Pulisic... The guy's just hungry, man. This is exactly what this game needed, and the only person who was actually providing it for us in the first half was probably Broja. But that, what I'm referring to, is that fuck you. I'm gonna do whatever I need to do to get us over the line. That kind of, I'll run through a brick wall. I'll light myself on fire. I'll sacrifice myself for my teammates. I don't care what happens after the match. All I need to do is make sure that I do my part this match to put ourselves in a position to win. Broza did that incredibly well, and Pulisic did it incredibly well. And he needs a start, man. I- I- I'm sick and tired of making excuses. I'm tired of this false narrative that you know I don't want to accuse every fan of, but a lot of fans have of that. You know, just because he's American doesn't mean he should start. No, that's bullshit. If you go on Twitter, if you went on Twitter during the match, I didn't see one negative tweet about Christian Pulisic for the first time in his entire time at Chelsea. Period. It was all about how he impacted the game, how if there was two of them, we probably would have scored a goal. You know how how he should have came on for Havertz and not you know Havertz staying on and bringing Broja off and you know all of all of these different complimentary things that are being hurled towards Adam. the writing's on the wall man this guy is our only player with the ability to take players on 1v1 he's the only guy on our team who's willing to make that final pass a half second earlier than anybody else you know his ability to receive the ball and actually turn away from pressure to face school that's crucial so You know, I've been sitting here complaining about what Kai's not doing. I could also sit here and complain about Raheem Sterling's not doing stuff that Pulisic's doing. I don't think Sterling completed a pass in damn near eight matches and Pulisic completed three in this one. What else does he need to do to not get the start? I I, I honestly think that whatever is going on behind the scenes or whatever is happening, there's some sort of... I don't want to say misunderstanding, but it just seems like, some, like something has to be up, right? Why else is he not getting the time he needs? And like, if, if two managers before this couldn't figure out that he needs a run of games to really get going, why can't Potter? Like, I, I'm just yeah, completely I'm, flabbergasted by his situation.
0: At this point, though, it's, it's not just... You could argue before, it's like, oh, well... Other people not doing their job is not enough to get Pulisic on the pitch. But not only are they not doing their job, but he's doing everything in his power to make it happen. Again, like, everything was going through Pulisic in those final 30 minutes. And if he wasn't involved, it wasn't going to be, nothing was happening. Uh, I also want to point out that he showed that he doesn't need to be exclusively on the left side to perform he was on the right um of the front three today and he was just as comfortable um yeah but, i mean i, I think we've, we've talked circles enough i think we both agree the man probably does, you know in, in our eyes deserves to start against united
1: and i i want to throw i want to throw chuck's name in there too not to start against man united but he looked like a young RLC out there, man. That I, I wanna see him play more, especially in that front three. He looked extremely versatile.
0: Yeah, I know. I think he he's it was only a matter of time before not under Tuchel, but I think that Otter's even including him in the in the benches and he, he got those like a flash of minutes before. Then he had that behind the doors, like behind closed doors match where he scored twice. With first team players facing off Brighton, so uh, sort of behind the scenes work has been increasing, and and what he and his stock in terms of how Potter season has gone up, and I think that for him to trust him in nil nil was was a very cagey match at this point because I think in the second half Brentford was really giving it to us, really spoke volumes of of how much we'll probably be seeing of Chuck moving forward. I think ahead of the
1: pecking order. In front of Ziyech, something to point out too. Ziesh, this is the first Dennis time Ziyech isn't getting sympathy minutes.
0: No Ziyech, no Dennis Zakaria. I mean, yeah, yeah. I again, we'll we'll probably be seeing more of him, but but I want to bring it back to to United because that's who we face this Saturday, and I think this is going to be the first real test as to. Whether our our form in the Premier League under Potter is a new manager bounce, or if it's true that you know he truly is improving the side, I think United, just a club with that status, is is something that makes this a big match. At least for me, United is one of the biggest matches of, in the calendar. Makes Always me think of like the two thousands. I I I know. I hate Arsenal. I hate Tottenham. But if there's a team that I want to beat, is always United. There's just something of that Ferguson era where it was either us or them winning the league. That just makes me like, this is my, like, as a Longhorn, I love playing OU or playing A&M. This is the equivalent for me. I love the United match. And so, in my eyes, I think this is probably the biggest game and and United under 10 hog has, has improved a little bit. I think that perhaps stylistically, they're not the prettiest team to watch, but they're getting their results. I mean, the last five matches, they got four wins and a draw. Uh, they beat, uh, Omonia Nicosia, three to two, and they beat Everton, two to one. Then they beat Amosia whatever, one nil again. Nil-nil scoreless to Newcastle, which honestly, Newcastle is a solid team that I'll respect to them. And then today, at the time of recording, they beat Spurs 2-0. So regardless of how what I think the style of play looks like, they're getting results. So Zach, I don't know if you have anything to, to, that you've seen recently, maybe from the Spurs match, that is cause of concern or, or something just to watch out for tactically for United.
1: Well, now we know that the question mark over Ronaldo is not a question mark anymore. He's not going to be starting for Man United at all. Like, I think they're not just, they're just not going to experiment with that. Um, They really found their stride ever since. Yeah, yeah. And the Ten Hag, I think Ten Hag was like, I'll deal with that tomorrow. It's literally what he said. So that relationship is broken. Um,
0: Wouldn't be shocked if Ronaldo mysteriously gets injured before Saturday, you know? yeah small training knock prevents him from being on the bench
1: but then again he is a competitor so he's going to be thinking oh maybe if i could get five minutes in, i can i can i can score against them but no, um i i just don't think he's going to get the start look they play a 4-2-3-1 just like they really don't have any variation in that starting lineup i know they brought casemiro into the starting lineup today against Spurs he's kind of been in and out of the team since he came in just kind of getting used to the to the tactics and the you know just the pace of the Premier League I guess which is hilarious to say out loud about a guy who's won five Champions Leagues or four Champions Leagues starting in midfield but beside the point um a couple things I noticed uh Spurs fucking suck they were terrible I don't think that we're going to make the same naive mistakes that they did I noticed one of the things that they fell into the trap of was, and this is all Conte's fault, but Man United's wingers pinned their wing backs really high up the pitch or really deep from Spurs' perspective, and that allowed their build-up play to become so incredibly easy because it was just Kane and Son chasing the ball around, and uh, they're playing keep away with five players, five players being the back four and De Gea, so. I don't think we'll make the same mistake. I think with Graham Potter's playing style and our counter-pressing, we do want to be pressing them higher up the pitch. So he'll be looking at that tape against Spurs and, and and seeing that their their fatal flaw in this game was that they pinned themselves back. They never really gave them chance themselves a chance to play on the front foot whatsoever, and that's something that Potter prioritizes. So I think if we do play with a back three, hopefully we don't, but if it happens, a priority for Potter should be Making sure that that back three that uh those two wingbacks don't get pinned back by man United's wingers, most likely Sancho or Rashford and Anthony on the other side, so that was one thing I noticed the other thing that's super important to note here is that guys like Fred and guys like Bruno they're starting to hit a run of form, and that's something that we haven't seen from them this entire season. I'm not too worried about guys like Fred, you know they're gonna come in every now and then and put in like a really good performance. It's just kind of what he does, but the consistency is never there. I'm more concerned about a guy like Bruno because he's the type of player that can hurt us if we give him one opportunity. Um, he took but his goal really well has. today. I know he hasn't, but he took, not, his, listen, he took his he goal really well today. And listen, you, I, we haven't conceded in five games now. It's going to happen at some point. Just got to be wary of it.
0: The way I see it, Bruno doesn't show up to a big match. So him scoring against Spurs just tells you everything I think about Spurs' current form right now. Yeah. Bruno, I'm not concerned. Bruno is supposed to be their main guy, but to me, it's it's more of Rashford. I think a, an agile striker is much more dangerous because I thought Koulibaly was very exposed today on the outside of a back three. I mentioned earlier I don't think we should deploy a back three anymore, which hopefully can help him out a little bit more. But um, to me, it's it's more about not getting caught sleeping on the counterattack because usually that's where Erickson shines, right? If he can get the... They try to get the ball to Erickson and then the, the ball moves forward. And Erickson has that ability that is very Cesc Fabregas-like where he can pinpoint a perfect through ball. And that's where I think we can get caught a bit sleeping. I, I don't think... You know, outside of Reese James, I don't think our fullback slash wingback crew, it, recently, not overall, but like in the past three or four matches, haven't looked amazing. Whether it's Schiller or Cookreya, so they could get exposed perhaps through there. Oh, yeah. I would take it
1: one step further, Andres. I think <laughs> I think guys like Fred and Bruno could also hurt us in those situations too. Where if a ball behind, if a ball in behind a Rashford's on. They're gonna take it, and if we're starting, if we're starting Thiago Silva, and they catch, you know, either outside center back sleeping, we could be toast.
0: Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. Bruno does. Bruno's too far forward on the pitch for me to to be too concerned. I, I I'm not. I, you would have to really sit back to let Bruno turn face you and still find the pass. So to me, it's more. Like you said, I don't think Potter's going to sit back. I think Potter's going to come and try to smack them in the face. Even if we sign, like line up in a similar 4-2-3-1, I think it'll be far more progressive, far more counter-pressing, sort of pinning them back to where the mistakes occur from their back line trying to transition moving forward. That's where we're yeah. really going to try to catch them. And, and the thing about Thiago Silva is that he's not going to allow the back line to, to fall asleep. I think that that's something that we will for sure be preparing for because Anthony is lightning fast. Rashford is pretty fast. Sancho's kind of in a weird form. So I'm, I'm not even sure if I would put him out there as a, as a player to really be concerned about currently. But yeah, I, I don't know, man, I'm <coughs> excuse me. To transition real quick to Ron's question is he asked us who we think is our eleven? I'm going to 4-2-3-1 or some sort of 4 2 however you want it to, to feel out. But I want to come out and, and really push the envelope. I think you, you have to play at RLC in midfield. I think you go back to Kovacic as a partner for him. Mount has to play. I think it depends on Gallagher. If, if Gallagher isn't up for it, then... You go maybe four, two, three, one, and you flank Mount with both Sterling and Polisic. And I'm even thinking Polisic could be just fine on the right side. Let him let him do what he was doing against Brentford. Obama yang hundred percent has to start this match. Uh Broja scored a lot today, maybe you consider him, but I think it's it's for sure ABBA up top. And then the back line, that's where it gets a little trickier. I would go Tiago Silva and Chalaba in the middle. Just to add a little bit more of athleticism into the back, into center back pairing. I would go Chilwell on the left and then Aspie on the right. Chilwell is extremely under um what's the word I'm looking for here? Rated uh, underrated in terms of how he is how good he is in the air, specifically on defense. And I think it's gonna be a lot of kickball from United. I don't think. They're going to be out there trying to connect 10 passes on their way forward. I think it's just going to be long ball after long ball after long ball because I expect runners on our end in midfield to just wreak havoc with the pressure. So that's my 11. I don't know. Do you have anything that stands out that's a little different on your mind for the 11?
1: I mean, I want to play a back four. So I think that we could probably see if we go like any variation of the back four. RLC in midfield. I pretty much agree with everything you're saying. The only part where I kind of hesitate is. Do we go the midfield three of Jorginho, Mount, Kovacic? Um, Or do we go Kovacic, RLC, Mount? Or do we go Jorginho, Kovacic, RLC? I mean, there's so many variations that we can get out of that. I think against a team like Man United, you probably want legs in there people that can people that can cover ground and block passing lanes. So, I think uh I think a guy like RLC is going to be important. I hope he starts. Kovacic looked great against Brentford. He was one of the players that one of the few players that actually looked half decent. Um but the tricky thing for me is who are you going to start out on the flanks? Um I'd like to say that Pulisic and Sterling get the start, but I have a feeling that Mount's going to be deployed as a winger, and we're just going to stock up on midfielders to prevent that ball up the middle from Manu. Um Aubameyang has to start, and my, my logic for that is um, when Lissandro and Veron play together in five total matches, they have four clean sheets. So I think the chances are going to be coming few and far in between. They defend really well as a unit, especially together. So you can't afford to have a guy out there and say, all right, you're going to get your four or five chances and your goal today. It's more. It's going to be more of a conversation like, all right, Abba, you know the drill. You're probably going to get one chance, and you're going to have to score it. And I, I just trust Aubameyang more at this point. Sterling's been in a really down run of form, so I wouldn't mind if we didn't see him start, honestly. If Mount starts on the right, why not start Pulisic on the left and bring Sterling back off the bench. I mean, he hasn't been cutting it as of late either. So Yeah, I mean, my lineup would be exactly the same as yours, um for the most part minus one or two changes. So, I don't want to I don't want to harp on it too much, but before before I kind of sign us off, Andy, what are, what are you predicting? What's the score?
0: 1-0 Chelsea. Yeah,
1: I was going to say the same. I think uh, I don't think it's going to be fun. I don't think it's going to be one of those matches where we're going to be saying, "Oh, what a beautiful run of play," or "What a what, what a great what a great pattern Chelsea just played." Or <laughs> it's not going to be any of that. It's going to be more like, "Oh my God! Thank God, Kepa made another save. Thank God of this for this last ditch, last stitch clearance. Thank God, Fred blazed it over the bar from seven yards out." It's going to be one of those games. So. I'm going to go 1-0 also. I think the goal comes from Aubameyang. I think he reminds Graham Potter, you know, who the number one striker is still. And that's not a knock on Broja. It's just more uh, a nod to Aubameyang's specialty. He's a sniper. That's what he does.
0: Right. So, and we're sure Sam is putting in a 2-2 draw on his prediction book.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. has to be a 2-2 draw. So uh, yeah, and if you got nothing else to add, Andy, I'm just going to sign us off right here. So that does bring us to the end of this week's episode. Um, as you know, we do record a pod every single week. If you want to be included on our um, in our episodes or you want to get shouted out, make sure you are replying to our tweet at the end of every match. We post a questions tweet where you get the chance to ask a question and be featured on the pod. If you're looking for that Twitter handle, it's at Parade. So make sure that you're following us and interacting with us. Who knows? You might even get an invite to our Discord. So um, with that being said, onwards and upwards, man. We don't have time to dwell on this result. We just got to look forward to getting three points against Man U. So uh, let's keep the blue flag flying high.